kids. All right. So um, this guy, with some backup, I think, from him, are going to talk about the three T's that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, um, where we appeared as Gentiles growing up in the church. We've come into this faith with perhaps a different view of three Hebrew words. So he's going to review that. If it's cool and fun, great. If we're done, we'll just call it a night. If we've got a few minutes left, I'd really like to chat about the Supreme Court's decision yesterday to not hear any of the five appeals from five different states of the Union regarding whether or not their overwhelming majority vote by their citizens to ban homosexual marriage now has been struck down because the Supreme Court refused to hear it. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Before we dig into that, though, uh, so the three T's. Left page. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, spit in the words of your Torah and our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel, and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel. All of us know your, Torah, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave to us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, I set a world speed record for that. All right, guys, thanks for coming. Have a good day. Yeah. <laughs> Idly. Oh, we're going for the good steer. <laughs> so, the three T's tonight are Taylor Traficanti teaching. Oh. 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 TQ. What's that? Talking. <laughs> Talking, yes. So, the first, um, well, Shuva, Shuva, Tanaka, and Tifla. So we've got traditionally translated as repentance, prayer, and charity. Great. So I expect lively discussion. Lively. This guy with robust vehemence and Savory. alacrity. Alacrity. So. <laughs> I love that word. Words like three to consider. <laughs> translation for those words. I want magnanimous. Magnanimous. I was going to say I've got a cornucopia of ideas. Oh my goodness. I, I got a plethora. Myriad. <laughs> <laughs> That's in the sitter. That's fantastic. So let's talk about tefillah, prayer. Um, so tefillah, which is traditionally known as you know prayer, we grow up and everyone, at least if you came from the background which I came from, prayer is like what you do when you need things. Open with the sign of the cross. Exactly. So uh, no. <laughs> that's, that's what? I'm just, just talking about remembering when I was a child. All you what's up, get over that lawn. <laughs> so, Matt, get off the grass. <laughs> Sorry. It's funnier. I went to a. Yeah. You wanted lively discussion. I actually it. went to Relevant a <laughs> funeral mass yesterday in Greenville. The true movement. North or South? And that was an amazing south. thing. And I actually have the paragraph at the end of their 11-page funeral bulletin oh, wow. that talks about how the Catholic Church has realized that it is a reality, that some of us don't have the same halakha. And 
you may want to take on communion, me? but you don't need to. But you, we really can't let you take the communion. Holy the only people who can take communion oh. are good practicing Catholics who have been going to confession. So Catholics who haven't been well, going to confession, anyone married outside it's of the church, oh, they listed them, and any non-Catholic Christians are welcome to come up to take communion and just but not receive it. So if in case you want to just get a blessing, in which case you stand in line with your arms crossed, your arms crossed, <laughs> <laughs> like a face. I'm actually making it sure you can pray. Like this. <laughs> that's what we had to do. Yeah. So, yeah. That's so that's the yeah. So, so you didn't take communion. You didn't try to pull that. I did not. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm the only guy in the entire room except the bishop at the front with a keep on. The bishop's got to keep it, and he's black like mine. Did you? I'm like, yo. <laughs> yeah, he didn't get it. He didn't. Did you? Especially when he shouted out yo in the middle of So all right. Growing up, what was, uh, how were you all raised to view prayer? Ask God for things we need. Yep. Things we want. The Let's, Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. Okay, what's the, wow. would that be petitionary? What kind of prayer would that be? Oh, but it's That's got to include It's got to praise, thanksgiving, confession, supplication. I feel like you're, you're just quoting to me some Bible study. No, there was. It's like the, it's the like Acts the prayer program. Yeah. There's Adoration, like, confession, oh, yeah. thanksgiving, supplication. Yeah. Okay. It's like, because they, they said the Lord's Prayer was a formulaic prayer, and they broke down these pieces out of that. Okay. So it's part of it. Our Father who art in heaven. I grew up in a good church. We had some of that. We were just we were just told as kids just talk to God. Just yeah. Talk to him. Yeah. So should Kibbutz do pretty much. Yeah. All right. What about from without reverence? Yeah. I grew up just you know pretty much just the Lord's Prayer. I I was in a little you know. Presbyterian church for a little while, and and it was uh, it was pretty lax. So it, we didn't, I didn't really get a good firm foundation as far as prayer was concerned. Yeah. But um, when I attended other churches, I as I grew up, it basically just seemed like everybody was just it was pray it was time to pray either when you're laying down to go to sleep at night or when you want something. Yeah. So there's a lot of, help with especially petitionary something. prayer is pretty big, Greg. Yes. Very, uh, very charismatic background. Mm. We went to the church. So you just wear. Hallelujah! No praising. Prayer, prayer was very loud. It was like loud conversations, you know, with with God. And in it tongues. was it was did very interesting. Did it? Did I? Well, I was usually too young to kind of get into that. Usually. Give me a witness! Yeah, sometimes I was too young. Sometimes I was always I was always too young to really get into it. But it's you know what I'm talking about, like the kind of prayer that's, yeah. that gets loud, like yeah. starts you know, off kind talking of to somebody and like, oh, let me, let me pray for you, and then it just sort of escalates yeah. in, in <laughs> so its like severity. Forty-seven taking on yeah. One hand yeah. on the shoulder, one hand raised the head. Oh yeah. Why are you making fun of that? One hand yeah. beating his chest, the other hand beating his chest. I know this stuff. I know a whole bunch of people I know. I that studied it. Thing. <laughs> it was a very intense yeah. atmosphere. Pete, what did you grow up with? Yeah. Just like pre-meal <laughs> ritualistic prayer. Pre-meal. Pre, pre, pre pre-meal. Uh, um, pre-meal. I wasn't sure if you like pre-meal. 
like post mail, ah mail, oh. I was like, how's that relevant? Just to pray, pray, grace. We would yeah. pray for people who had grace, wrong theology. Grace died years yeah. ago. Yeah, we did a cool. lot. Yeah, uh, <laughs> now look, we got you. What about you? So, growing up, I mean, it's pretty much the same. I didn't really think too much about prayer. Like, I didn't really think too much about religion at all. So, I mean. I, I don't think I really practiced prayer at all, but I, viewing it, it just kind of seemed... I do remember sometimes, though, being at church, <laughs> the, you know, they still have this in churches where the person leading worship will give a prayer, like right. a long prayer right. before Beautiful the sermon. flowing. And I would time it to <laughs> see, like, because they would just be wow, forever. Like, oh, so I would see, because they'd have the same people do it, like, rotating several weeks. So I'd be like, oh, here comes the guy who's, like, eight minutes, usually. So... <laughs> And then I would try to like catch myself being like, well, no, I probably shouldn't be angry that he's praying for a long time. I could pray all day. That's fine. I'll, pray, I'll just pray all day. That's fine. How's this? I'll, just, I'll beat you at eight minutes. <laughs> so it was very much like I didn't really think about like what you're doing. Um, but like the whole what aspect of prayer, though, like what is prayer? Like not just what you do when you pray, but prayer. What, what is it? Uh, can I reflect back just a little bit because I was raised a Catholic but yeah. when it came to the rosary that was a penance prayer Pen- penitence? was prayer was uh, you go in you confess and because of the amount of sins you got that's how many rosaries you prayed Yeah, and if you didn't sin much you only prayed a little so it was really an exchange for how much sinning you've been doing hmm Odd if you have many. And again, it's usually called caused that penance. Penance, not penance. Did I say penance is your attitude? Penance is what you're doing. You're doing penance, and it actually says that in that paragraph that you know sometimes a you know a Catholic cannot receive communion because they need penance. Penance. Gotcha. Yeah. Prayer is like a big thing in like our family just as far as like from the perspective of talking to God it was something we did like every night and whatnot but then also like um you know it was it was I think our definition of prayer was pretty broad like I sort of saw praise and worship music's intention as being prayer like it wasn't supposed to be a concert it was supposed to be an interaction with each of the worshipers with God that was supposed to be the idea behind it so Um, plugs on the way in is a bad thing what? Earplugs so on, ear on the way into yeah, a ear, concert at churches. You can worship God at any, any time in your car when you're driving, turn on the music, whatever. Any it's like volume. praying, whatever. But like, so like, I grew up like with kind of that background. My dad had read stuff from like Brother Lawrence, who was like really into like mm-hmm. ad hoc prayer, like regularly, like all the time. Yeah. Praying without ceasing and kind of like a literal concept. Right. And just basically right. talking to God, talking to God about like, things going on yeah. in life, talking to God, kind of a hit, but they do thing, but then also like, having structure as well. Like, I remember one time, one of the guys that was in my dad's Sunday school class had, like, this list of scripture passages that went through, like, I think it was, like, the Acts program, you know, mm-hmm. Adoration, Confession. Yeah. And it was literally, like, five to ten passages for right. each one. Mm-hmm. It, it would take you an hour to pray them all. Like, yeah. it was a really, it was kind of like the Sador. It was well, pretty yeah, hardcore. And, and it, I believe, it's the same thing when I had, it was designed around the line that the Master said to the Apostles, could you not pray with me? Uh-huh. Oh, and so maybe. when you go through that, I mean, it would it would take you. Yeah. I think I tried praying the entire thing once, and then yeah. after that, it was like I'm going to pray the sections each day. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny, I'll uh, to your question. Yeah. I was just going to say that when you're saying what is prayer, ultimately it's a 
personalized connection to Hashem. How so? Well, you are, in the case of reciting scriptures, you know, if you're reading Psalms, you know, you're, you're reciting scripture back to Hashem. Um, you are also, um, if it is improvised, if it's not liturgical, then it's an outpouring of your soul and, and seeking <clears throat> to converse with and, and, and deepen your relationship with the creator of the universe. Okay. So suppose that, you know, I am a wishy-washy type of believer. I don't go to formal church and I say, I don't, I don't think that we should pray. How would you respond to that? Like prayer is not an integral part of my walk with God. That's a difference. I mean, you're making a statement. I don't think we should pray, or just like both. Like, <clears throat> I, I don't feel the need that I should pray. They need to pray to God, um, so I don't pray. I can well, worship God in tons married, of other ways. We would probably ask you a question: Do you think you could have a healthy relationship with your wife by strictly actions and no conversation? Okay, so prayer being potentially conversation. Um, if I were to say, yeah, I can, I can, that'd be fine because actions speak much louder than words. Most of So, most of I, I could certainly, you know, have a robust relationship with God just based upon actions, and I can talk to God, but I don't need to pray to God. Well, I mean, I, not to say this is like the best scripture passage to pull out of my head for this particular moment, but I'm reminded of Micah six eight, which says that you supposed to, what does God require of you? And He says to love to, to uh, love mercy, to walk to, to do justly and to walk humbly with your God. Yeah. And it's interesting because the first two really cover your actions, mercy and justice. There's not a whole lot else you're supposed to do. I mean, that's, that's, that's love thy neighbor as thyself. Right. But when you love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, or might, then that covers um, a lot more than just your actions, and even more than your thoughts and intentions. Like, it, there is something else there, too. Like Paul says, he who doesn't have um, a... He uses the word phileo in the Greek, which is probably pronouncing it wrong. Um towards God is um, is a uh, not anathema but I mean it's what comes to mind but anyway basically saying that like you have to love God it's not enough just to simply like do the things that God says in a sense like as a ritualistic ritualistic sense but there has to be, you actually actually have to care about God okay well, yeah Poor said you're my beloved and we are your friend um, you're designating my designating yeah that's pretty awesome Okay, so suppose I take the, the uh, you know, a different question, a different route. What should the attitude of prayer be? Because, like, for example, when I was in college, I had a friend who would start off every prayer like this. Hey, Dad, just want to see, you know, talk to and just launch into prayer. Um, or we have, I had another, uh, my RA would, would say, you know, Lord our God, our Father. He, like, he would never address God in personal pronouns. It was always, you know, Lord our God, Lord, Lord God this, Lord God this, and it was a very um, high respect, very, you know, not approaching God as your equal. So how do you maintain the balance between, you know, approaching God as the king, but also approaching him directly as a father? What would you all say? I would say you do it the way you do with your fleshly father. Which is? Well, I mean, hey, Dad. My my interaction with Peter. I mean, there were times when he is he he is required to be more formal than that. Mm -hmm. um, perhaps when other folks are around, um, or when he's um, 
getting chastised for, you know, whatever. There's rare occasions where he's messed up. <coughs> but uh, other times there's a, there's a closeness and a, um, uh, an obvious caring relationship. And so and there's, he holds back at times and at other times. He's, he's open and hmm. share. Thoughts on that? Greg? So how did you, uh, there wasn't thoughts on that. Thoughts on anything that I've mentioned oh, in the okay. past four minutes? Huh? This, <laughs> I, 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 this is just a personal thing, my current view. But David, for me, is such an excellent example of prayer because it fluctuates from some psalms are literally just nothing but praising God. So it would be like a bracha. You're just blessing God for the great things that he does for you. <clears throat> Others are like, what is going on? And you're, you're just pouring your heart out at the moment. You might be saying something that you'll regret later, but it's just all coming out before God yeah. because of the current situation. And then others are sort of a mixture. So he has a very interesting... It's just so... I guess the Psalms to me are just so personal because I feel like they, they do display the cycles of the man's life so well. You know, there are times when we thank God for things. There are times when we just praise Him for things that may not have even happened to us, but just creation in general. Yeah. So it's it's a scope. I guess it, it sort of like Dad was saying. It's it's kind of dependent upon circumstances in, in a certain way. Where there are times when you are more formal in in your speaking, yeah. and then other times when it it might not be as formal. For whatever reason, it could be that you are so joyous, or it could be that you are so depressed and, and downtrodden. You know, mm. so it almost fluctuates with your your emotions. But at the same time, you don't necessarily want to just go off of that. I think there is a certain reverence that one must maintain throughout any interaction with God, whether formal or informal. Right. Which you know, point, which I think is there with yeah. with a father son relationship. Isn't yeah. It? Oh, you would have a problem with the hey no, dad. Raise yeah. your hand so but I dad would have, have a problem with it. Really? You would have a problem with the hey dad prayer, right? I would have a big problem with the hey dad prayer. Even though I call you dad? You call me dad, and that's fine. You don't call me Joe. But they're not calling his name, right? I get that. I'm oh, just okay. saying I think it's... Confusing. I'm, I'm just saying that there's, there is... Whether they parallel each other perfectly, son, is not the point. The point is that there is, there is a lessening of formality, but there is a line that, that even between you and I is not crossed. Yeah, and and, and that's that's the same thing. Yeah. It's almost like sometimes when I, if when I when I journal, because one of the reasons you journal is because you hope you know somebody in forty years picks it up, like George Washington's journals. But you don't, oh, you, you don't get, you don't get like, um, you don't get too honest because you don't want people to really know what was going on in your head. Because we get real honest. That was kind of spooky. Well, they'll read it once and that'll be the end of it. Exactly. <laughs> or it'll get really, really famous. No, I, I, I don't know if it's. Uh, I mean, first off, this is a great topic. Uh, second thing, when I pray. Um, I, I'm far more comfortable to pray by myself mm-hmm. or liturgical with a community. Yeah. Uh, but I'm very much concerned and maybe over-concerned, and you guys can laugh at me. That's okay. I give you a complete okay this time because I still have a verse. But 
I, I get concerned that the words that come out of my mouth are more about it's like fleshly prayers or concern with what somebody else might think about what I'm saying or trying to speak fleshly into the person like yes father you know you know if I'm praying for Beverly it this doesn't happen but I'm using it as an ex, as an example praying in areas that she needs to be better. At, you know that would be considered like how Beverly realized so, how wrong she was earlier. So the the this kind of prayer in public, liturgical apps. I mean, absolutely, it's 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 easy to flow in it. The free wheeling, that's uncomfortable. By myself, it's it's not that I change emotionally. It's within the circumstances that I find myself. Yeah. Uh, there are certain times of the day that I am alone, but it's it's a formal time that I pray. And I know where I'm going with it, but then there's other times that I don't, but I've fulfilled the formal, but I don't know, but then there's other times when I'm praying underneath a car, hmm. and I'm not going, hey, Dad, but I'm not standing up, you know, giving some Dominating. sort of, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't but, think but I'm needing help with yeah. something, I don't and think I'm asking for it. posture, per se, requires it to be done in a particular pose. Location can be important. Tradition holds, and I think this is a good one, that you don't pray in the bathroom. Right. Um, or at least not in the presence of human waste. All right. So that, I think, is not a bad idea. Can you pray in the shower? Um, no. Not traditionally. Not ex- you don't pray, traditionally, don't ex- you do not pray when you're exposed hey, to human privacy yeah. um, like or waste. So it's like, if you're in the bathroom <laughs> doing your hair doing fully dressed and the bath, toilet is clean, then I guess you could theoretically be praying then. But like you don't you don't pray when like you're using the restroom or when you're in the shower or whatever. Right. So like those situations, I I mean I, I think that makes a lot of sense because you're kind of giving God a sense of reverence that you would give any normal person, you know. I mean you know so. But then at the same time, um, there's a lot of stories about Jude from Judaism to talk about like praying while you're going through your day doing stuff. Yeah, you bet. Um, so I think that. Um, spontaneous prayer is encouraged, not discouraged. So I don't yeah. see anything wrong with like. Praying, especially if you have a menial job where you're not really having to use your brain that much to think about it, you can be praying then. You can pray when you're driving, whatever. Um, <clears throat> one of you two, whatever. Go ahead. Um, since, since you're on the topic, uh, I think I have recognized and learned from Judaism that there is no such thing as sound prayer. The me thinking is called thinking. thinking. <laughs> me praying it's called prayer. is is praying is speaking. I don't have to speak very loudly, but it is allowed. Yeah, not allowed. Allow. It is permitted. Audible, but it is audible. Yeah, and, a, and, and a, <clears throat> I mean that's just a, this past year, maybe year and a half. Yeah, that I've recognized that you know the the. The scripture speaks clearly. Who is going to praise him? You know, folks that die and go down to hell, they can't praise him. The folks that can praise him are his elect, are his righteous ones, are his that, you know, we've got that, you know, first four or five categories that you and I go through at the beginning of Shakarit there. You know, he'll be done by this folks, and these folks will do this, and these, mm-hmm. and those four or five categories yeah. are people that are doing this out loud. Right. And growing up in the Methodist church, Never heard that concept at all. Yeah, Johnny, I wouldn't. Yeah, when I first started reading 
prayers out of the Siddur and praying from it. I, I too read the um, the traditions that Joshua mentioned about not really praying in the presence of human waste and, or when someone is modestly clothed, whether it be the person themselves or they're around someone who's modestly clothed. <clears throat> but one of the things that immediately came to my mind, not, not so much as a refutation for that, but more of just to say that those are good guidelines to use because I'm sure that many Jews were put into very compromising, very humiliating positions throughout the Holocaust and in other situations yeah. throughout throughout the ages when prayer was definitely needed, but the presence of waste or personal, you know, clothing and, and whatever the situation may have been, those things could not be helped. Yeah. But that connection with God must be maintained whether or not you've got this tradition or not. Does that, does, how's that fit with Job? I'm just curious. Um, how do you mean? Well, he had conversations with God, right? Yes. And he was just covered in boils and festered. I mean, well, that's different. No, it's not that. It's it's specifically it's human. Not, it's specifically. I'm just asking. Um, excrement. Yeah, yeah. Poop. Poop. Poop is the issue. Yeah. And uh, dysentery and that sort of Even thing. the sitter will make it clear in, in the, in the, you know, if there's a woman who comes into the synagogue and she's immodestly dressed, well, she's either got to go or we got to cover her up. Traditionally, the way that I've heard it said is that in an extreme situation, you can, like, if you're like, according to some traditions, I guess, people used to sleep kind of in the nude, I guess, so that was pretty standard. So they said that traditionally, like, if you need to um, pray Shema, and, like, there's someone in the room who's sleeping sans clothing, then you can look away from them, like, turn your back to them, and that would somehow count. But the point is, that the, but the, the idea is you're trying to, like, elevate the whole situation right. with, um, with God. And that even goes to the extent that, like, I think traditionally, um, like, if you... I can't remember now, but there is a lot of there's a lot of issues that go along with that whole issue. Well, I mean, two things that come to mind are prayers oh, are meant to be a, essentially a, a replacement for offerings and sacrifices mm. without the temple. So you have prayer. Yes, okay. he was saying liturgical prayer is the replacement, not necessarily prayer. That's what I think he was trying to say. Okay, and it's mm-hmm. actually that's 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 actually reversed. It became a replacement because there was liturgical prayer before when there still was a temple. According to the oral Torah. And there was liturgical prayer. No, we know there was because his his disciples asked him to pray. Teach us to pray. Right. Oh, yes. And there was still a temple. So so it's only afterwards that the sages have said. Plus, there are the prayers. Right. In exactly. the temple and Acts, which right. is standing. Right. Yeah, so it's, it, it didn't come about after. But anyway, your point is still intact. What else did you have to say? Well, I guess that doesn't necessarily fit with what Joshua was saying. Because what I was going to bring up was the fact that when the presence of God was in the camp, you always had to take mm-hmm. the waste outside of the camp. Right. And, and then, bury it. And, and bury it, because you didn't Dynamite. want that to be in the presence of God when you were interacting with the presence of God. And then also the fact that the priest had to wear certain 
linen breeches. Linen breeches so that he would not be exposed. And that was a modesty issue while he was going up the steps and everything. So those two things kind of relate to your interaction with the presence of God. And why else would you be praying, really, besides wanting that experience? And so... But yeah, I guess I understand that, but that that's I mean, if if I can interject, I'm talking about the extreme. I'm talking about a, a Holocaust a camp. A no situation problem. where you have no problem. You have no control over no your problem. environment. That's not what we're talking about. Well and, and Okay, no I just problem. want to make sure that's because what you're to say. I, mean, I, wouldn't, no I wouldn't want to get the idea. You're near death and you're surrounded by naked women of and they're gonna burn you with a stake. Start praying, <laughs> and they're pooping on your feet. Yeah, start <laughs> praying. Like, really? Who's they? Yeah. Oh man, it's Catholics. That's what it's the Catholics. Well, no, Muslims. Muslims. But, but I, I, I'm still kind of confused. Those are the They won't burn you. So what's, what's the question? Well, so so what would be the difference between liturgical prayer and normal prayer? If you're like, let's say, praying Psalm 100, but you're not doing it liturgically. That is liturgical. Yeah. Well, that's a psalm. So if no, you just no, like any, any prayer that is no, predefined is liturgical, right? There's liturgical prayer and spontaneous prayer. Yeah. So liturgical. Okay. So so define liturgical prayer. Anything that's predefined. Or pre-written, written, a written prayer, printed, or memorized. You've been doing it's the same one at that time. Yeah. Like the Lord's prayer is liturgical. So is the entire Book of Psalms. So is the entire Bible. Is it? It's liturgical. Wait, the entire Bible? Absolutely. It's would be liturgical. liturgical if you're Greg, praying. what's your definition? Well, I always thought of it as just prayer that was done in a group. Not oh, no, 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 no. no. It's yeah, all about what you pray. When you pray by yourself, it's all liturgical. Right. Liturgy. Mm-hmm. So, so, so where are we going with this? Bring it home. So, so, we got two other topics. We do have two other yes, topics. Come on. So, I mean, now it's time to leave. Holy cow. Oh, my God. Oh, one. No. That's right. You only one. It is What's that? <laughs> One thing that I really appreciate about Judaism is reverence and a quick story that Mr. Upham told me. Um, in the Holocaust, Jews put God on trial. Like, God, you're totally guilty right here. This is this. This is what you've done. You're guilty of this. We're going to condemn you right now. So it's boom. They declare God is guilty. Unanimous decision. And then they go pray Minka. And the story was like, that was just, that really stuck with me because that's how reverent Jews are. It's like, cool. Horizontal. We're mad. Vertical never changed. That's very fascinating. One of the the biggest things that I think um, misconceptions that I had about prayer was it's not just petitionary. Uh, petitionary meaning, you know, dear God, please be with this person. Do this. Do this. A bunch of like tasks that you're giving to God to complete over the course of whatever time frame you decide to set. Um, but with, you know, as I've been reading stories about the Baal Shem Tov, and he's got so many, such deep, awesome understanding of prayer that it's it's all the time. And I, you, we all know that previously from, you know, Paul, certain... certain Paul had something to say about praying yeah, all the time. Yeah, he did, so but it seemed just like, okay, you're praying all the time, that's impossible. But to have, like, the Baal Shem Tov put flesh on that is really awesome because for... Like Johnny said it twice, it's a connection to Hashem. It's not just, you know, like with your wife, you know, it says, all right, sweetie, good to see you. It was a rough day at work. I need you to take care of the dishes, do this, do this, do this. I'm out. But no, there's, there's an interaction there. There's a connection that exists there, whether you're giving tasks or whether you're just speaking. It's all with their connection always is there. 
treat it like that. So I think that that tefillah is way more than just petitions. It's all about crying out. It's all about saying like, "Where are you, God?" And when the times are horrible, or like Baruch Hashem when things are going awesome, or when things you need things, doing that as well. So I think that tefillah is so much more than it, it's every day. It's every second. It's every situation. There could be tefillah involved. Um, so closing thoughts on tefillah as opposed to, you know, some of the more petitionary things that we're used to. I agree. All right. Next topic, um, we've got tshuva. I'd rather get to tshuva first than tzedakah. Um, Tshuva, also known as repentance. Um, Let's talk about repentance, because that's a really big word that has a lot of misconceptions and misconstruals depending on your upbringing. So let's just start with that. Growing up, if you even had any kind of understanding of repentance, what was it? You know, how do you, we're not going in order, so just anybody has a thought, share it. Return. Mine? Return. Oh, return. I thought you said your turn. Yeah, return to? That was your growing up. That was growing up. You understood as a return? Turn around. Turn yeah. around. Okay. It was the, you know, the classic, I don't know if you ever saw this in Sunday school, they had the, the little pig, and the pig had turned around because God allows U-turns. I don't know why they used a pig. That just seems really tacky. But the point is, that's what they used. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit. <laughs> that was probably like something your Sunday school teacher drew up, and we're all supposed to know. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> no, it was like it was like that's They could have used an eel. I feel like I can't see this like multiple like you know like in like uh, you know Christian bookstores or something like that. Anyway, the point is like God allows U turns. That was like the yeah. phrase you hear. It so a turn, another turn, turning around, yeah. turning around. Turn. Okay. Here, here. When I was a kid, I mean, I always attributed was it was like implied or was taught. It's going to be an, an emotional event. Hmm. Is it, is it a, well, um, add this to it. Was it a one-time thing, or is it over and over? Over and over. It was... Over and over? Over. No? Whenever, whenever you mess yeah. up. I mean, yeah. But, like, I mean, you get converted, you you turn around, well, and that's it. we're Methodists, so we didn't have to convert. Okay. Um, you, know, so you, come to, you have a come-to-Jesus talk. You never had that either. You were born that way. <laughs> yeah, we were born in the faith. So how did you repent? We what had you a turn method, Gaga was and from well. method to our to madness. our worship. Method that's why we madness. were Methodists, right? And John if we did something wrong, we would repent and not do it again. Oh, so each act was supposed theoretically then, one if time. If we did it again, mm-hmm. you, we would repent. And not do it again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, gotcha. I see. So that type of repentance. Yes. Where you were repenting for the, you know... Previous repentance. What is it? You, know, you never... Rededicating the rededication. You never acknowledge that this happened before. Because God forgets all our sins. Oh, yeah. Okay, Rick, what did you, you think coming up, growing up? Just, it was uh, like that. Oh, the turning? All right. You guys here? No history of repentance. No history of Fascinating. <laughs> was that something talked about? It was definitely like, I think in my family, it was definitely treated more like, like that, like kind of like an individual sin sort of repentance type thing. Yeah. Like, Very whenever you sin, then. Yeah. you need to yeah. repent of the sin, and the intention is you don't do it. You're not planning to do it again. You're That's planning right. to stop completely That's right. forever. That's right. And if you don't, which usually is what ends up happening. Then we go back three squares yes. on the sorry board. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Re-roll. You know, it's like the prayer we pray at the middle of Yom Kippur. It's like maybe you're willing to sin again. Like 
Yeah. <laughs> right? It's, it's like playing sorry. Yeah. You play sorry on the board, yeah. right? Turn All right, four. so up, oh, oops, yeah, back up three. Now go again. Oops. Yeah, oops. Greg? It, well, it was unfortunate because what... No, we, when I came away from it, it's loud like the prayer. No, no, I just want to make I am so sorry. I always came away from it that it was it was very. It, it just happened. Like you didn't actually even have to say it out loud. So it's passive. Like there right. wasn't. I never even remember anyone saying anything about actually confessing, or or actually saying out loud that you repented. But just more of the message was. You, you, you are forgiven, basically. So almost and that like, is repentance, right? Like, like the fact that you are a part of this. Oh, and you body, came. You came to church, and the fact that you, you came up. to church, Eric like Dunn. that, was repentance, basically. Like you don't have to say it anything. Right. That's so just what I kind of took away from. It was very. That's that's return. So I woke up on time. What? Well, it's, I it's mean, but, weird. but it's got to return in it, right? I return to church. You are coming to church. To church, to read the Bible, and praying with one another. Right, there it is. So you're back in front. Yeah, that's it. What was your growing up? If you had anything at all. Growing up in church. Wilkesboro? Yeah, I got born again about four or five times a summer. Oh. Highly recommend it. Per summer. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah, not just a school year. Because yeah. 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 they didn't have the too camps. Too much fun during school the school year. <laughs> but, uh, so let, let me ask this. Uh, the, all this repentance, returning. Um, so you are returning to what? Yeah, it wasn't until I started walking. You're returning to God. Yeah. Jesus. Right. Mm, to no. the right no. way. What are you yeah. returning to? The, the right Returning way. to a pattern of behavior yeah. that was consistent with people. But that pattern of behavior is something completely alien to you. Yeah, it's, the pattern of behavior Absolutely. was never defined. That's correct. It was always yes. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, it was always. Oh. So how do you return to Jesus? No, no, no. It was defined. Don't ask questions. It was defined as love God and love your name. Right. For I mean, me. From, but yeah. not understood as a summation of stuff. Well, it I was mean, just there, was there are definitely like, I mean, basically, I feel like it boiled down to extrapolations out of the fruits of the spirit, you know, from Galatians. It's like, if you're, if you, if you got angry at someone, you repented of that. If you, if you're mean to your little brother, you got, you repented of that. If you looked at that girl when you shouldn't have, you repented of that. You know, those are the sins that Christians do from time to time. They, they lack self-control. They're not as gentle as they should be. They're not as kind as they should be. They're not as patient or as humble or whatever. If you pat yourself on the back, you repent for that, you know, and so on and so forth. <laughs> and so basically, that is the, um, yeah, that, that was like the way that it was for me, at least, is it like it was very much, it was heavily focused on actions, on right. some words, not actions, I'm sorry, internal actions, like thoughts, words, tone of voice, emotions, emotions, it's very much internal. Like, there's very few things you can do wrong externally in the Christian faith unless you're stealing, killing, or sleeping with people. So doing one of the Ten Commandments, except for the last one. Yeah, pretty much yeah, all another nine are out of the And number window. four, but we don't eight. <laughs> but you're But the, the bigger issue, though, is that, like, it, you, it's, it's dealing with, like, how you're feeling towards people. If you forgave someone, that means that you're supposed to feel good towards them, or, it's not, or you forget what they did, or whatever, you know. Okay, so... Um, yes? <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're probably about to say. I was just going to ask what... I've been hearing things, like, 
what is tshuva is different from repentance. Okay, so let's ask, what so is tshuva? What is Judaism's definition of tshuva? What would you say? That, so we, we talked about repentance. Repentance is vague, Because it sounds more like the Methodist point of view, where you return into being a good Jew, because you were well, born a good Jew. I, okay, I so let's talk so about that. What, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm reminded of the Balshuva, which would be the master of return. The one who has, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, that has forsaken his ways. Yeah, his his way of life, and is now going to live with, for, and as so, one of God's people, who definitely have a written standard of right and wrong, not a feel good thing, and you're going to be part of the community. You're going to be one of God's people, and that okay. is well defined. I look at the way the word itself is constructed as well. Shuv, shuva comes from shuv, which, you know, at, at its core is shin bait. Now, um, if you look at the Paleo Hebrew, the, the letters for the shin, it's the, the jagged lines, mm -hmm. which are teeth, which are meant for crushing. And the more you sin, it's like you're you're building a house of sin. So the the bait is sort of like the floor plan. In, also in the Paleo Hebrew, it's like the floor plan of an of an ancient Near Eastern house. So it literally it is crushing sin. the house of sin that you have built. And if you've crushed it, it means you cannot return to it. It means you have completely done away with so it. So it's not returning. In a well, to that house, to that particular. So it would be forsaking. Yes, because it's, it's more of it's it's in the sincerest and truest form of it. it. It's not it's not so much about the return. It's about making it so that you cannot go back to that sin. One of the twenty four um, impediments to to shuvah that the Rambam actually codifies is one who says, um, I'm going to sin just so that I can repent later. It's, it doesn't work that way. Right. It's, if, if true tshuva has taken place, you have actually done everything in your power to remove all possibility of doing that in the future. Joshua? Although, interestingly enough, Judaism also teaches that true repentance, and that was really good, true repentance is also supposed to be you don't actually know, in a sense, if you've truly repented until you've had an opportunity to do the sin, sin, sin again, again and, and you, you choose not to. So it's like you're, yeah, it's almost like you, you may have repented in, um, mentally and, and, and internally, but it hasn't been demonstrated. Kind of like James talks about Abraham's faith. It was proven with the offering of Isaac. Kind of the same thing there. Like repentance is proven when you get the same opportunity and you choose not to. We're actually stronger after we've fallen once because if, if that shuva has taken place just kind of bouncing off what you said there it, it's like um it's like a weld you know the, the the weld joint is 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 physically stronger than the material was before mm -hmm. it was actually broken so the the doing or performing shuva actually causes us to say I stumbled. I see where I stumbled. I know how to avoid this going forward. And so, in, a, in essence, stumbling once and then performing true tshuva is 
it, make, it, it actually gives us a stronger connection to God, as it were, than maybe not actually doing it in the first place. I'm not advocating that we go, you know, out, go out and sin, of course. You already but, done that. But, <laughs> exactly, it's unavoidable. Um, we're humans. But the idea is that now that we have done this, and now that we have forsaken this, because we know what to expect now, and we know ourselves, we can resist it even stronger, and our relationship with God is even stronger. Yeah, good thought. Rick, what would you say? Shuva. I really like that shin bait thing. Crushing the house of sin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it just reminds me of uh, when you talk... Well, we're, we're not talking repentance. Are we? We're it's talking a- Shuva. Well, I, because... There doesn't, doesn't mean that there can't be overlap. You know, because I, I really don't have anything... Thank you for the support. I really don't have anything on, on the Hebraic side to shed light or value in on it. It's just coming from my critique of what I had seen in the CCT and seeing books. We know a friend who would who would teach on repentance, and it was all it was like an emotional progression, and and I think that. Although emotion can be part of it, that's not what repentance is. It's a very basic, simple principle. You have you have done something wrong, you recognize it, and you don't go there. You, you don't turn do it again. To the Torah, you turn to the right. Well, that's that's a step you take. But it, there could be emotional, you know, emotions involved. But the teaching that I had seen is that it must be an emotional event is false to me. I think that's a false statement. So if there's so you're saying that should you prevent emotions from being in there? No, I'm just saying it's not required. Okay. A, a, a emotional event, like you might see other people do, is not a requirement to know that you're that you've proven. Well, you can't. You definitely can't know if I repent. No, no. True. Right. Well, that's right. Oh, oh, oh. No, for sure. And I'm not pointing at you, but pointing at what you had said, which is so true. It's. That's not an emotional thing when you're proven. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, so I, I, I just have to say, you know, what it may have looked like. It, it, it's not one tied with the other. It does sure. not look like that. Mr. Foster. Mr. Dorsey. Um, Two totally different names, <laughs> by the way. Um, yeah, so, Mary. <laughs> one thing when I was in Chicago... <laughs> Is that what Mr. Really calls you, Mr. Darcy? No. She calls me Mr. Forrest Foster with a Mr. Darcy accent, because you know. Anyway, what were you gonna say? Um, so the. Uh, when I was in Chicago, one thing the the pre people's house I stayed at. They were like, it's okay, you can come over. I was just about to shuva too. Like, um, so after talking with them about it, there's a correlation. So Christians tend to be proud of sin, mm-hmm. and Jews tend to be ashamed of sin. Mm-hmm. So Christians tend to be proud of doing coke and then reading Jesus. Judaism. Or their testimony, like how bad you were, yeah. means you have like a better, more Judaism. exciting testimony. Judaism would be ashamed to even admit that you were in that part of town. Not, not only that, but what as you, you know, 
they, they will. I mean, it is against the Talmud. You can't bring it up. You can't even. Yeah. You yeah. can't even remind someone because of their sin. Yeah. You can't even send it in the mail. That's right. Yeah. And surely we open, open it. it. Yeah. Wow. So one thing they were talking about, about the shul, they they kind of told me about it, and the the lady was like, "Yeah, I was I was about the shul, and about the shul to her meant um, I had started going to a conservative shul because it was the only one within like fifteen miles." Then she returned to being from. And well, then it was then because it, it was the only place near my college, so I started going to a conservative one, and she was so about the shul that. Like her, her lows were yeah. We were, I was I was in this show. We hosted like fifteen people for Shabbos every night. Like that was like the low. It's like well yeah. Now that I met Zev, we got back an Orthodox community, and it's great. And the the husband was like, um, maybe about to shuv a little, but never never really went straight. You know, he was like, and they it was, it was something like no, like the goal is to always be Orthodox. Be Orthodox. So I. I don't know if I agree that that sin would make you stronger okay. in, in resisting sin. Because once you've sinned, bitter, stolen waters taste sweeter, according to Proverbs. So you've had a taste of something really good. Now, lo and behold, consequences that come after, but in the, in the glimpse of it, sin tastes good for moments, for... No question about it. Yeah, so but I I would say you're actually stronger resisting sin than falling and then coming back. Because if if it's just corporately you can't you can't teach that. Yeah. Because the goal is always just to be perfect. Hmm. And I think that like as far as emotion goes, Judaism definitely encourages emotion and repentance. Like um, you know, like the scripture passages about rending your heart and those types of things. Mm. Um, one of the things that Judaism points out is, uh, and actually Paul does this too, Paul highlights is a bad emotion, because you mentioned emotion can be negative too. Paul points out the idea that like, don't, not to weep, um, you know, basically just for the sake of weeping, but like to have it like, there's like a reason for it because you're, you're really sorrowful over your sin. So it's a re- weeping that leads to repentance. So I think the phrase that he uses, our sorrow that leads to repentance. And um, Judaism actually plays this game because they look at um, Esau, Esau, who cries when he doesn't get the blessing because Jacob steals the blessing. And they, 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 they says he, he cries there and they say that for the little bit of tears that Esau shed, like God gives Esau um, the opportunity then to overcome Jacob at times. It's like if Jacob is not up to the standard that he should be at, Esau will win. And it's like, so they teach that, like, the only way that Jacob, Israel, can overcome Esau now is if Jacob's tears exceed Esau's tears. Hmm. So, like, the idea then um, is that, like, this mourning for repentance, uh, mourning over sin is definitely important. And you mentioned the shame, the shame factor. That's huge because one of the things that God gets really down on Israel about in the prophets is the fact that they were sinning without shame. In fact, if you look at most of the, the, the judicial system in the Torah, it's not really intended to make sure that you catch violators of certain... It's to, uh, it's to make sure that they don't do it in public. Right. It's so that if they're yeah. going to sin, they're going to have to fi- make sure they do it very carefully, very quietly, behind closed doors, and nobody sees. Well. Because you don't want 
you don't want it to become accepted in society. Which is exactly what's Which happening. What we're happening now. Let me let me throw this out here. You mean coming out? I want to see where you kind of gauge you on a barometer. Gauge? No, no, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> so with tshuva, um, or with repentance, rather. Let me let me just contrast this. The starting point is that I am sinful, and. When I'm turning away, I'm turning away from myself and onto another, uh, is how I was taught to believe it. So you're turning away from yourself and on to Jesus. Um, that's repentance. It's a negation of self, not necessarily a nullification, but it's a, the way it is, the catchy put, way it was put is you're not thinking less of yourself, you're thinking of yourself less. So consider this though. Um, and I want to see if you agree or disagree with this. Suppose that you start off completely differently. Instead of you're your starting off in utter sin, suppose that you're starting off as a completely pure being. And that you're always pure. And that you never cannot be pure in your true self. And that that's how God sees you. That's who you really are. That you are fundamentally good. When you do bad things, you are betraying who God made you to be. So when you're repenting, as it were, when you're doing tshuva, when you're doing tshuva, not just when you're tshuvaing, when you're doing tshuva, you are returning to who you really are. You're returning to the source, which is your pure self. So in other words, you're cutting through all of the badness that you've done, straight through, back to your pure self. Thoughts on that? Do you think that's completely unfounded or eh, has some merit? What do you think? I think it sounds good, Norm. But if you're trying to explain that to a Christian, what is it? Am I trying to explain it to a Christian? I'm just saying, if you're trying to explain someone who doesn't understand that kind of terminology, but they genuinely want to repent of their sins, what does it look like? You tell me. Yeah, it's, it's out there for everybody, but what does it look like? This was where I had a lot of difficulty. And and so and I, and I I learned a lot about this, but so I just want to learn what you know what you guys think about this. But 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 it has there there has to be some sort of process. There's there's if you're gonna do something, you can't just think, oh well, I repent and it and it's all good or something. Correct. Like that. I don't think he said anything about no, no. it being different from what we all said. Sure. It's just the we mentor started. concept that. The way we're thinking about it, not what we're doing, but what we're thinking about, is 180 degrees out Absolutely. from what they're thinking. And the only thing that causes me to throw my eyebrows up is the concept that man is good. I, I struggle with that. Yeah. I carry no a gun every day. Because that's fundamentally <laughs> because not what we see. It's not what I'm seeing. Now, if... if if man was created and it was very good, mm-hmm. I get that. If that's where that starts from, sure. I can work with that. But the reality of it is, everything I read in the prophets, everything I read about man in the Bible, is, is that he, he always, always, 100% statistically, of the time, goes awry. And man definitely does some bad things. Well, but I'm, 
just a question. But I love, I love the concept that it's backwards from what I... It's like the other side of the coin. The, yeah. Just a quick question, because like in, in the story of creation, Adam is a, a sort of a different physical being than, than we would be right now, according right. to tradition, right? And then he sinned, and then he himself <coughs> changed and can now die, right? So I'm just... Like, I could see what you're saying if we were talking about, like, pre-sin, like, to where, because he was purely good at that point, but then with the introduction of the death, and I know this is totally, like, the, uh, you know, yeah, I, but I'm just, I'm, I'm wondering how you deal with that, because it does look like, like, when you look at the spectrum, it's like, so before the fall, we'll just say, it was, sure. like, started perfect, and then, like, did a bad thing, and so then it would be like a return to perf- perfection would have taken place at that point, but it didn't. Like, it stayed. the The consequences of sin stayed. You know well, what I mean? Like the consequences. The but did he stay that way? Was every soul then brought into the world by Hashem impure? Well, well it's not necessarily the soul that we're talking about. Really? We are. Yeah, we are yeah, talking, talking about the soul. soul. The Christianity argues from the Psalm 51 passage which says, In sin my mother conceived me, um, which is arguing that like basically everyone is born into a sinful nature. Like it's natural to sin. Right. I, yeah, that is what the Christian church says. That's correct. Well, like, we don't really sin with our souls. So I, I'm just, I'm, what do you, so, so are you, so that's, that's the point though. If we don't sin with our souls, then the soul is pure. But the soul can be can't, right. can't, so that's can't my point. The point is that your soul is fundamentally pure because it's from Hashem. Your soul, you can it can be blemished, but ultimately it's a pure entity. As if you pray in Shakari, the soul that you've placed within me is pure. Pure. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I, don't follow I think that. you're probably more on the same page. I could actually like probably to... follow that. That that actually well, is nuanced enough. I think I could agree with that. Right, that actually does make sense because the way that you put it before was that when you uh, you were you were talking about it in a very physical sense, like mm-hmm. you're you're mm-hmm. walking mm-hmm. and doing good okay. things, and then you do a bad thing, and then you have to get back to the the doing good things, uh-huh. as opposed to I, I guess it just it helps bring it into perspective. Yeah, the way you put it was good, and it helped, and I appreciate you asking the question because it, it brings it home. So when I steal. Mm-hmm. Is it my body that's stealing, but my soul is still pure? Or did my body and soul steal? And well, another part of the prayer, right before Tefillin, is the soul that you've placed within my brain. So it's, it's the neshama, part of your soul. Your soul is not just soul. There are levels to the soul that probably are not necessarily hierarchical, but more of from the out, from, from in, and out. And again, I'm not a posach, I don't know. I'm not a rabbi, but this is the little that I've studied. But you play one on TV, so it's okay. Go ahead. Um, so it's very fascinating, though, to consider it because this, the again, outwardly tshuva um, is not. I gotta quickly tie up this sentence. Uh, it's not returning. Um, it is turning away from yourself, but it isn't. Because instead of looking away from yourself, you're actually looking into yourself, but you're looking to Hashem, the soul that He placed within you, if that makes Which sense. Which is in His image. Correct. So it's a, it's a returning to the source. 
instead of a turning away from yourself onto thinking the source is out there, actually believing that because God breathes his spirit into you, when, when man is made, the father and the mother make the body, but Hashem puts the spirit into that, and then there's a, there's a connection there, always, that always remains until death when God takes his spirit back up. So the connection is not severed as if you're just you're this little autonomous being running around. Hashem is always part of you. So it's a returning to that source. It's a returning to who you really are. So when you do bad things, you say, this is not me. This is not who, I, who God created me to be. Which, this is, this which is, is exactly not what me. the prodigal son said. Yeah. This is not. This is not who I am. Who I am. You wake up. And you, like when you sin, you, after you sin, you kind of wake up and you're like, I feel like I was insane for a minute. Like that, that's not me. Which is the only way you can see. Exactly. So, that's uh, good thoughts, but we've got a yeah. couple minutes to um, do tzedakah. Tzedakah, charity. Um, now, <laughs> I, this one it can be a little more complex because, you know, there's the, like, what exactly does it mean to give charity? Is that like tithing or like, what... Like, what is charity or what is, you know, giving to the poor? Is it the same thing? Is tzedakah just giving to the poor? Or like taking that 10% of your paycheck and giving it off to somebody? Is that tzedakah? Giving an offering to Hashem, by definition, can't be the same thing as giving to the poor. Why? Because you're not doing anything for the poor if you, when you give an offering in a temple. It's just between you and Hashem. It's not a charity thing. Yeah, tzedakah is definitely a horizontal concept. Okay. Within, at least from what I know of Judaism... Um, the church like, says tithe, but when you read tithe, it means offering. So we got to take that out well, of our And it really just means 10%. Tzedakah. So it's like... Tithe is just, just literally... 10%. Right. So literally so basically, yeah. we're not talking about tithe. So, exactly. Exactly. so we can just scoot that We're talking out. about charity. Okay. That's all right. Yeah. Now, so if you choose to set aside 10% right. of your paycheck for charity, well, that's I? fine. You know, but I mean, that's... <laughs> give more than you give to a restaurant. What, from what I've read, it sounds like tzedakah is actually an obligated charity as opposed to a gift. So how do you have an obligated charity, Greg? So it's like, you if you didn't give tzedakah, then you would actually have to repent, because okay. that would be a sin otherwise. How would you be able to tell between obligated and not obligated? Good question. How do I know if I sinned? I'm not walking into that is, one. Is taking care of um, is taking care of a widow or an orphan is that tzedakah or is that does that fit in that realm? Do there, we do we want to divide it up into gleaming to the edges of your field and rant like random widows and orphans because then you get to get into commandments versus tzedakah. Well, when well he just said it's a sin if you don't do tzedakah. So I, I, I want to, I want to pursue no, that suggested. I'm well, I mean, so so Yeshua oh. says like, don't deny if somebody asks of you, like, don't close your hand to them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and the parameters of it, I, I'm, I, I mean, basically whatever you read in scripture, the gleanings of a field and mm-hmm. the various places where you're supposed to take care of the widow and the orphan. And then giving to the poor, taking care of the poor, taking care of the stranger, like, yeah, yeah, the Levite. So those those are areas that support the fact that the, that tzedakah is a command. To what extent, I guess, isn't necessarily as 
clearly defined in scripture. Literally, in the case of the corners of the field, because that the whole point yeah, of that one is that it's undefined. It's, right. Yeah. So, what would you? Where would you think you would gather the parameters of what constitutes enough tzedakah to count? You mean to count as tzedakah? Yeah. It's a good question. If you prescribe parameters, it's not really Hashem's will because it's specifically undefined. So which, you're which saying that tzedakah Somewhere. is according to the generosity of whatever I want. Because it's undefined, therefore, it's actually, up to me. That, actually, I mean, there's a mandate that we shouldn't give more than twenty percent, lest we become impoverished ourselves. It's you know, you know yeah. It's also it's also yeah. mandated that you're obligated to give up to eighty percent of your income should somebody in the community fall on hard times. Okay, so so there's there's extremes on both ends. Okay, so let's just talk about normative circumstances. Extremes are good to help prove points. Yeah. But let's like, and every day I'm trying to figure out what exactly would qualify as tzedakah, and when I would fall short of that, or even like well, have we even established what tzedakah is? Because yeah, on the one hand, there are not got, that many mitzvot that we can do today that deal with tzedakah, because most of them are agricultural in the land with the temple system in place. You're talking about the corners of your field. You're talking about. I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, we, unless you're a farmer, I mean, you might be able to do these, well, I suppose. But I mean. Like generally speaking, like the mitzvot behind it. Now, within the, trying to leave hard drives all around the yeah, <laughs> the, the, uh, if you drop one on the ground, you're going to leave it there. Um, in case, case says, uh, that's a Windows switches, one. I don't care. Keyboard. In the case of um, in the case of like what Greg is talking about when it talks about like opening up your hand, mm-hmm. but the the needy around you. Like, that is also commanded in a sense, but there is an undefined amount to that. Uh, Rabbi Shlomo Karlovach, who, like, who was very generous and famous in New York, um, made his routine to always give beggars, like, $5, because he always thought that, like, anything less than that was undignified. Sure. So, like, that's just his personal halakha. Like, but that's, like, an example. But there's really not a set amount, per se, to that. Because there's lots of different ways you can approach it. I mean, according to Judaism, it actually varies depending on the person you're giving it to. Right. If the person you're giving it to is used to a higher standard of living, they, they, they need more. The person you're giving it to is used to a lower standard of living, they need, they need less. So it's proportional. So are, are, we, are we agreeing that it's, is it defined? Is there a defined it, it standard? It sounds to me like the guy in the corner needs to wear a suit to get more money. That's, that's, that's true. There's video about it. Anyway, so it, it, are we saying it's, that tzedakah, if you fall short of a certain limit, you're sinning, or is it proportional to whom you're giving? Because I don't think those, do, or do they work together somehow? The, well, I did a study on this about two years ago, and um, I recommend to everyone Art Scroll's um, Tzedakah Treasury. Phenomenal book. It has a lot of the ins and outs of how tzedakah is practiced today. It also has a lot of just amazing sort of tug at your heartstrings type stories. Well, um, Maimonides, Rambam, Rambam also quoted earlier, um, also codified a system of a sort of a hierarchy of the levels of tzedakah. You know, from and, and there's eight levels, as it were, in this. And the highest being you actually enable a person to... Uh, it's the teach a man to fish principle. You know, you actually ena- enable someone with a a, um, a a loan or a gift 
or, or teaching them or business partnership so that they can actually provide for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, all the way down to, you know, an, you know it, it goes through, you know, levels of anonymity, you know, with, with giving. If, it's, if there's double anonymity, that's, that's like the second highest, you know, where neither the giver nor the receiver knows who is, you know, getting the money. And there's someone in the community um, who collects from the, the tzedakah box who is trustworthy and distributes the funds as such. All the way down to the eighth level, which is actually if you give begrudgingly, and that's actually sin. Yes. Um, the the levels which are maintained uh, traditionally, it's you, you, it's treated as okay. You can you, you do what you can, but if your tzedakah actually causes you to go into poverty, that's also considered sin. So. Just a couple, just a couple thoughts on that. But um, mm-hmm. you can, the slideshow for the one I did a couple years ago is probably up there. And mm-hmm. We should probably revisit that. Should, indeed. Colby, have um, taking the scenario guy on street. Yeah. You know, you with wallet guy on street scenario that that's very common. Um, a few months ago, the Tanya, it was about eight weeks long. It was just on Sadaka. Mm-hmm. And um, and Rabbi Mir from SoundCloud did a whole lesson. He's like, ah, oh, it took me two months to do this. It's actually, just Mir's not Rabbi. Uh, Rib, Rib, Rib Rabbi Mir. Mir. Yeah, he's got a, a great lesson from the Lakunti. Lakuta Maharan. Yeah, on Sadaka. Um, but essentially, his his premise is everything's from Hashem. So right. if we believe Hashem controls the world, guy asks you for twenty bucks. Hashem just asks for twenty bucks. Why are you depriving Hashem of twenty dollars? That's his, his premise. And he says that um, the way you avoid... So guy on the street, hey, do you have 58 cents for a bus ticket? Sure. I have a dollar because nobody has 58 cents. Here you go. Because Hashem, <laughs> Hashem is, is using that. So Hashem that controls sense. that. Because Hashem could have gave that guy a bathroom urge and he could have not been there when you, when you passed by. Yeah. So, um, so everything, so everything, everything is from, is from, um, is from Hashem. So well, one thing you're saying is, is you, the, the point of Sadaka is to harness your anger and channel it to compassion. Hmm. So right when you see guy on street, I live uptown, this happens literally every day, which is why some days I just choose to work from home and not go on the street. Um, so the the anger that flares up in your heart it happens it's you get angry when someone asks you for money like you're on the way to work you're in a hurry and someone asks you for money it's like dude I've been working I, 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 you know it'd be like 8 o'clock at night like I, I just worked 16 hours dude and you're asking for money I want to punch you right now <laughs> like you, get, you get angry it's like dude you're such a free loafer this happens every day I see your stone yesterday you start getting real mad at him um, and then let of the ages, you know, stay away from anger because that's one of the roots of our sense. character traits. Um, so you take that anger and by giving to that person, it it um, converts it converts your anger to your compassion. They are irrelevant. The situation is irrelevant. Hashem is working on you, which is why He put this guy in your path to ask you for money because Hashem wanted to get rid of that anger and fill you with compassion. And God does that to you every day. Huh? Amen. <laughs> That's so. awesome. Yeah, yeah and, and just one thing. What I, 
I don't necessarily, I'm not walking and they don't hand out, they're standing by the side of the road or anything right, like that. And, and now I'll actually drive drive around and, and after after so have a feeling of I should have stopped nothing or something. And but my excuse was it's I, I traffic, the light's gonna go, I don't have it. So I purposely keep a stash that's pop a button, grab, and it's out the window and I'm done. And and that has helped me be able to hmm. to do it in times that I, I keep all my truck. Yeah, either that or your hat. <laughs> in, in Sadaka Treasury, it actually suggests that we carry a certain amount of money with us specifically Just, for the cause of Sadaka before, every yeah. day on our person at all times. Sometimes it's it's whether you get really irritated at the ATM for only spitting out 20. Five, <laughs> <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> I'd like to, uh, I, I suggest <laughs> the little gold $1 coin. <laughs> they're cool. People think they're cool. And or $2 bills. There you go. Can't That's use those in soda machines. Oh, Can't pay for uh, marijuana with that. Bro, oh, what is this? Bro, Definitely fake. No, bro, totally I'd like to take a moment to lift up my daughter, who I'm doing my best to teach ways of righteousness. And um, I sort of have a soft spot for the guys standing at the off ramps with signs. And so I'll, I'll make it a point to pull off and, you know, get them like a a combo or something from the nearest fast food restaurant or something uh, and, you know, get them a drink and walk it over to them and pray with them and just be on my way. Well, there are a number of times that I've had the opportunity to do this with my daughter. Well, she had just acquired a couple shiny new 50 cent pieces and for her coin collection and um, you know there was no additional numismatic value to them beyond the face value of the coin so they were still just 50 cents they just pretty they were just pretty exactly so when we're walking when we picked up the food to in this on this one particular time she reaches into her pocket and we're about to get out of the car and she looks over at me do you think I could give them these and my first thought was, wait, I don't really give these people money because we're encouraged not to. They say they'll go buy drugs, they'll go buy alcohol, whatever. But I, did, but I, wanted, but I didn't want to suppress her giving spirit. And so I was just like, you know, that would be quite amazing. So I took the food, gave it to him, and she took the coins and, and cool. gave it to her. And, cool. and as a result, I, I gave her, she, she gave the guy two, but I rounded up four more and gave her gave Double. her those to replace those two just to show her that there is blessing for looking out for the needs of others. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a really neat teaching All moment. Right. And, Amen. All right, we've got to wrap up. Closing thoughts on any of the three subjects. Tefillah, Shuva, Tzedakah. You can't really talk about all these in one night. <laughs> but we did. I, yeah, you did a good job. Not if comprehensive. You, if you haven't been giving Sadaka, you need to make tefillah so that you can do teshuva. Uh, yes. That's good. That's nice. tied all three teas together. I didn't say anything on the Sadaka thing. You didn't. I didn't know anything about it. What do you mean? You forgot everything I told you. I don't know anything about it. I. I 
I don't even want to talk about what I do. I don't want to uh, make you think less of me or lift myself up. But I don't know anything about this topic. But whatever Peter said at the dinner table sounded to me like I had it backwards. I haven't heard anything backwards yet. So give me a give me a summary that helps me see what I might have been thinking about this is not necessarily for tzedakah. Yeah. So it's like charity is do whatever you want, have a great day. But tzedakah really has a is a part of our walk, perhaps. Right. A mandated, expected part of our walk. Pete, don't we just say it? Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm not sure where I'm being. Because the here. whole, the whole class basically that the Hebrew word means the opposite of the English word. Okay. Um, and so in this case, tzedakah is normally translated as charity. But, but charity in today's, in today's world means giving something to people who don't deserve it. Meaning, Kobe works 16 hours. This guy doesn't work 16 hours. And giving your earned money to the guy who didn't earn it would be giving charity. But tzedakah doesn't translate as charity; translates as justice or righteousness. So it's it is mandated. And so, yeah, yes, it is mandated, but also it has nothing to do with giving it to people who don't deserve it. In Hashem's ledger, these people do deserve it. And so, all we're trying to do is actually write it, write the scale. So, Kobe has money that he's actually not supposed to have. Right. It's like if. If someone were to give you a thousand dollars and then your neighbor asks you, like, "Can I have two hundred? You wouldn't. You don't want to give it to him. But if someone gives you a thousand dollars and said, "Here's eight hundred for you and two hundred for your neighbor," then you know oh, this two hundred is actually not. It's actually me. not mine. It's the exact same thing when you get your paycheck. Like this, because Hashem doesn't want you to have all that money. He wants this guy to also have money, and that guy deserves that money in Hashem's mind. Yeah. So there's nothing. The opposite is that it doesn't have to do with giving money to undeserved people. So Tanaka, in the letters of the ages, if someone's worse off than you, you should just brook Hashem because they're probably more righteous than you. Yeah. There's a chance. That's what it's. But then, like, also, like yeah. the, the Tanaka thing, like you're saying, is like that God, God controls. I love this concept. God controls all of your income. So basically, um, the whole next year was settled. I think two weeks ago. So basically, the the amount of money. The amount of money you're going to make the whole year is totally irrelevant based on how much work you do. Like it's, it's all you're going to make the same amount anyway. That's you're going to make the same amount anyway. Mm-hmm. And the great part about that, I mean, I've experienced this like personally, where like these weird things happen. Like you find, you get a bonus at work, uh, at, you know, your car breaks, and then you get a bonus at work to pay for it, and it's like that's cool. And then sometimes you get a bonus at work, and then your car breaks, and you know, it's like basically. God controls how much money you end up with at the end, regardless of what it is. So it's like if you're giving it away, like I think one of the traditions that I think Pete's passed on is that like if you don't give it away in charity, it will God will take it away some other way. Taxes, yeah, it but will be a blessing for giving charity. So might as well give your money. You might as well give it generously instead of getting it through like an audit. So if right. I may kind of <laughs> summarize the three words, um, I would summarize. <laughs> Summarize it, you know, Shuvah, Tzedakah, and Tefillah over and against, you know, repentance, charity, and prayer. These have the the former or the uh, the English equivalents have more so of action focused on honestly, I think, you know, what my action is. But the old the Hebrew terms have the action on Hashem. 
So if I could summarize these three words, kind of thinking about them as we've been talking through the night, it would be Hashem Echad, which is that there is only Hashem. So your purpose of prayer is not just so for you to get something from God, it's for you to connect to God and, and get to God. Um, so charity is not just giving money so that you can either feel good about yourself or just give money, but it's because Hashem has done everything already for you and the money that he's already given you is meant for a portion of it for somebody else. And the third, um, tshuva uh, is not just turning away from yourself onto some nebulous item, but it's actually returning to Hashem. So all of those things is involving Hashem, showing that he is not only... Um, present, but he is the only thing that really matters in every situation. So, if I could summarize that, I think that'd be good. I don't think there's an afterstudy mm, unless now there's no the first page of the talk. Mm. Yeah. Okay, I got that. So I used to get, I built up iPads, yeah. We both have the electronic. Or is that the iPhone six? That's the no, that's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just finishing. <laughs> <laughs> they used to be droid jokes. Hola. Now they're iPhone jokes. Okay, um, so this isn't the normal blessings. It's a little bit different. This is one before and after Talmud study. We used to do that before so we started coming. Just do after. We changed when you guys. We'll do that. I thank you, Adonai, my God, that you have established my portion with those who dwell in the study hall, and you've not established my portion with idlers. For I rise early and they rise early. I rise early for words of Torah, they rise early for idle words. I toil and they toil. I toil and receive reward, they toil and do not receive reward. I run and they run. I run to the life of the world to come, and they run to the pit of destruction as is written. And you, O God, will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed of deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for me, I will trust in you. Amen. 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 <laughs>